Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Alrighty, we are back. Apologies for not being around the last couple of weeks. My sister was over from the UK and I just wanted to switch off and have the whole two weeks to be with her, to show her around, to essentially be her taxi driver. But um, yeah, took took the time off work and podcasts and all other things just to connect and bond with the sis and my niece and her husband. That was lovely. But one topic that came up and something that I actually had to deal with was boredom. So through no fault of anyone's, there's no problem in this, but my sister and I are very different. And I think people that know me will assume that I'm very active. I cram every minute of every day. I make the most of life if I can. And I certainly think that's been informed by my past and overcoming many years of ill mental health, eating disorder, being in a mental health institute. Now that I I'm no longer in that dark place. I see the value in life and I love life and I've constructed a life that I genuinely love to lead. But I would say that my sister, she's actually said this, so not word for word, but I'm kind of quoting here that she is bored in life. She loves her child. She loves her husband. She um, loves the people she has in her life, but she has kind of got to a point where everything is a bit too monotonous and there's not much change and that was a huge reason reason for coming to Australia and coming on holiday so she could break the cycle of boredom but it got me thinking on the topic because it's one that I think most adults would experience more but actually we've gotten very good at distracting ourselves so we don't allow ourselves to feel bored and I think it's something that children certainly experience and I can think of one child in particular out of four siblings who experiences boredom more than he does his siblings but I think there's a fine balance between allowing children and enabling children to work through boredom so that they can then know how to manage it later on in life Um, and also obviously not keeping children in a state of boredom so much that they become depressed or low in mood. So what is boredom? Um, I had to google this because I couldn't really put it into my own words but it's google says a weariness and a restlessness through lack of interest, which kind of sums it up, I think. And boredom is certainly something I struggled with throughout my teen years. And I suspect that was for two reasons, partly because I was dyslexic. I still am dyslexic. In fact, I think my spelling and my writing has become exponentially worse since I left school because I'm not practicing it but I was bored in the classroom because I couldn't keep up so I didn't understand I couldn't relate to the the method in which we were being taught so I wasn't really taking on any of the content therefore I was just getting completely restless and frustrated and I was actually quite a naughty student 
because I was disruptive. I was trying to create drama to curb the boredom. Um, and then there was boredom in the school holidays. And I think this was a lack of feeling socially connected and feeling like I didn't have enough friends and people to play with. But actually, in hindsight, what I've been very fortunate with is my imagination. And I'm sure that's come into my creative craft. And that's why I'm um, very good at imagination for artworks. And as a child, I actually spent a lot of time, I was a very happy loner, much younger when I was sort of still in a nappy and as a toddler. And um, before I'd even started school, I have lots of memories of just sitting in nature and thinking, just imagining. I probably had imaginary friends. I'd certainly make up little stories in my head and yeah, just be in another world that I had created in my own mind. And I think that's a really powerful thing to do. It was only when I went to school that I felt that there was this this kind of necessary need to connect to my peers and that was the norm and it was socially encouraged that you should have lots of friends and it I would look to other classmates and know that there was this expectation to be popular or to fit in or to have friends and go and play sleepovers or play at a friend's house on the weekend and stuff but it kind of went against what my early upbringing was all about which was very much being happy on my own in nature and so there was this conflict of feeling like I should tag along and then being immensely bored because we didn't do anything we didn't really have intellectual conversation I couldn't go in my own head when I was around peers of say let's say 10 11 years old because Obviously, then I wouldn't be present in the moment. So I I distinctly remember at 12, we were allowed to go to town, which is like a big deal. So we went to town and basically just stood outside McDonald's um, on the corner of the high street and didn't really do anything. Certainly didn't have any intellectual conversation. It was some of the most boring hours of my life, but I felt this pull to need to do that, to have the social network that you're supposed to have as a 12 year old so it's a really confusing time for me and that I guess raises the point that everyone's source of boredom can be different so for me it was bored because of a lack of understanding of what I was being taught and then boredom because I was trying to find a common ground with with kids that probably we didn't have much in common if I'm if I'm honest or I was always a very deep thinker from a very early age and maybe I was just a bit more mature along my journey of kind of philosophical thoughts or introspection self-awareness something I've always had and I don't think that many other 10 11 year olds had that so they're the two main things that stood out as times when I was immensely bored and just coming to mind now actually which is something we did every year was a skiing holiday And we would drive, well I wouldn't, but my parents would drive because it was cheaper and I don't think they could justify the flight, the cost of the flight. So we'd go for two days in the car. So we'd go um, drive to the ferry through the night, get there in the morning, be on the ferry all day and then drive another day from 
Calais to the mountains in the French Alps. So two solid days of driving, sat in the back of a car. And I didn't once feel bored. And we did this every single year. And then, of course, we'd have to drive back two days after our skiing holiday. And I remember filling the time with just imagination, drawing definitely, thinking of little poetry, little patterns, just creating marks or in my head. Um, We certainly didn't have screens back then, so I didn't have a phone, no iPads, they didn't even exist. But somehow managing to fill the time, probably just spending a lot of time looking at the view out the window. Um, And I actually kind of credit my parents for, I'm sure this was unintentional, but gifting me and my sisters the opportunity to have to practice boredom, which sounds like a really weird thing to say, but I do worry for kids these days when they're not allowed to sit with their thoughts, they're not allowed the opportunity to have to go into their imagination, they're not given enough time without devices or without things in order to have to just think about their um, play from a pure imagination standpoint. So my sister came over with my niece, who's five, and we played games that obviously as an adult were kind of tedious and I <laughs> they weren't exciting, but for for her, they were just fully engaging, exciting, like completely absorbed in the moment of playing a game that ke- that came out of nothing. So we didn't have any tools, we didn't have any things, we certainly didn't have screens. Most of the play happened at the beach and a pebble would become a bug or the steps would become steps to like a magic kingdom or she would be the tour guide and she was showing us the way down to the beach as a tour guide. We went to the zoo and she became the zookeeper and I was just reminded of how innocent and precious and important that ability to use the imagination is in curbing boredom and enabling play essentially um so yeah that's that's my first sort of take on on boredom i'll go back to when I was at school, and I think this is vitally important, and if there's any parents who are listening to this, and if your child is being disruptive at school, I would first ask the question, one, are they too intelligent? So are they too smart for the class? Or are they struggling? Maybe they're dyslexic. Maybe they can't see. Maybe their hearing's not great. Maybe they get um, easily distracted, ADHD. There might be something that is going on, which is causing the learning to be ineffective. Because I am not a naturally nasty child. I'm not. I'm not a someone who wants to disrupt. I'm certainly not someone who takes pride in being little shit. But I can say, <laughs> hand on heart, I was an awful student to teach. But I don't blame myself. Looking back, the class environment was not set up for somebody with dyslexia sound sensitivity and an inability to learn the way that we were taught. So we were in a classic Victorian school. A lot of schools, ironically, are still set up the way that they were set up hundreds of years ago. So if you think about the phone 
and now it's wireless and it's on a tiny tablet and an incredible screen. The phone has evolved so much in the last 100 years, same as automobiles, so cars 100 years ago um, looked like a Flintstone kind of car and really um, rickety big wheels and all this. Now you think of the Tesla that can almost drive itself. And yet the classroom setting from 100 years ago is pretty much replicated to this day exactly the same, but just there's a screen, um, a touchscreen or a whiteboard instead of a chalkboard. But I just don't think that education has evolved enough to assist in the appropriate learning for everybody. Some people thrive in that environment, but certainly for someone that has an active imagination or a learning difficulty or just doesn't quite have the means to sit still and focus for 45 minutes, um, yeah, I think that's that's going to breed boredom and it's going to breed disruption and um, it's going to be a negative learning experience. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this to just really think about your child and how they best learn and how they best see the world. And if they're being disruptive, maybe they're bored because they're not able to learn in the right way. Um, I obviously have had a huge interest in sport my whole life. And there's times where I have probably been a bit of a jerk or not been a great team player. And I was thinking about this in in the kind of concept of boredom. And the times where I have been a bit fractious or not really been a team player is because I've been bored. And there was an occasion, this was a few years ago at Cricket, and we had a new coach. And it kind of baffled me that he didn't ask about us. He didn't kind of inquire as to who might have had knowledge or skill sets that could help with the process of the coaching. And at the time I was a personal trainer and I had previous seasons taken all of the warm-ups and done the dynamic stretching. And he just shot himself in the foot because he tried to take a dynamic warm-up stretching session, had clearly no idea about what he's talking about. And I just I actually went up up, up to him afterwards and said, mate, why didn't you ask us if anyone could do this? Or why didn't you kind of hand it over to us to show you what we can do so you could get to know us better, but we could also be more engaged and, um, yeah, more involved in the process. And it hadn't dawned on him that that would be a good idea. But when it comes to athletes or when it comes to sports people or actually this is transferable to careers as well the more empowerment you can give someone the less likely they are to be bored because let's face it if you're an athlete you've probably done that sport hundreds of hours in the last few years if not thousands of hours so to be empowered with the process of your training or come up with skills or come up with a drill for your whole team to do, that's going to be far more beneficial than just going through the motions. Some of the best training sessions I've ever had are when the coach have gone, right, each player is going to bring a different skill or a different drill that the whole team are going to do. So you have to design five minutes of the training session. And I think this is absolutely true of a workplace and also in the school environment. So as soon as you give ownership, over to somebody else to to come up with the 
planning of an activity, instantly it helps go boredom. So for instance, if your kids are struggling to eat what you prepare for them, or they're being fussy eaters, or they just don't want to, you know, sit with the the family at the table, or they're not finishing everything, when's the last time they chose what they wanted to eat, or they were involved in the shopping, or they were involved in the cooking of it? I just think we are dictated to so much in life, and we're prescribed in so many areas. We're prescribed what to learn, how to learn. We're then prescribed what we need to do at work. This is if we have our own boss. Um, how many hours you need to be there, in what environment you must do your work. It's a bit better now that we've got working from home. Um, and then in your hobby, one one of the reasons I dislike going to gyms is because usually, or um, exercise classes, is because it's prescribed to me. And I find that really boring. I want to be able to make the decisions. So one huge way to curb boredom is to be a part of more of the process, to be more involved, to have ownership. Um, Yeah, I think if you, I'm trying to think of examples, maybe if you have a teenager who is saying that they're bored of life and they're disengaged and they are spending loads of time in their room, maybe ask them what they want to do. If you want to connect with them and say, right, it's you and me, buddy, we're going to have a mum-son night or we're going to have a father-daughter night or whatever it might be, but I want you to choose what we're going to do. There's no question about we're doing something, but give them ownership because we all know what it's like to be dictated to and then you just don't have um, the same amount of investment. This is a little bit off topic, but it's just come to mind. And this is a, a kind of a business little tip, um, but certainly something I learned as a trainer, as a personal trainer, is that if people don't pay, if people don't invest in some way, or if people don't set their own goal or their own um, desired outcome, then they're less likely to put in the effort. And I I don't think that's just the case for personal training. I think that's the case for all aspects in life. So the more ownership you give to the person, regardless if they're even a child, like even if they're, you know, two or three, they can choose their book that they want you to um, read to them of an evening and they're more likely to want to have a bedtime story and snuggle in and and listen rather than watch tv than if you go right tonight we're reading noddy or whatever (laughs) the book is so that's a huge one um and certainly something that helped me when I was immensely bored in hospital so I went from living a very active full-on um over intense to be honest existence before I got admitted into hospital and then partly one of the reasons why that I then got chronic depression and had to be medicated for 10 years was because I was so mind-numbingly bored and I wish they had given me more ownership over decisions around my um, recovery so maybe you can have either this or this to eat tonight or if you want to do some light exercise you can either go for a walk or you can either go for a cycle or you can either do that like just the lack of choice made me completely disengaged um and that kind of 
speaks to, I've kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but basically want to talk about how to curb boredom a bit more in terms of change and choice and excitement. So for some people, being consistent and being, um, I'm trying not to use uh, bad words here, but I was going to say monotonous, Um, having a lack of variety, maybe let's not make it so negative, being in a, what I would consider a rut, um, for some people feel safe. So some people like predictability, familiarity, routine. Personally, that completely scares the bejeebies out of me. Like the thought of having sameness um, really, really, really freaks me out. But for some people, the desire to keep safe and to keep familiar is what keeps them small. And it certainly means that there's no nasty surprises, but it also completely curbs growth. So if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you'll realize that I think, personally, I think growth is hugely important. And if you're not actually growing, being stagnant to me is the same as not existing. So everything in life must grow, otherwise it kind of fades away. Um, So it's finding a balance. It's finding routine and it's finding security, but we must open up the opportunity for change, for growth, for challenge, for learning new things. So it sounds super obvious, but some of you might be thinking, okay, cool. Yeah, I can definitely resonate. I know that I've been bored many times. I'm bored in work. I'm bored in my relationship. Um, I'm bored in life in general but I don't want to completely disrupt my whole life. How can I start to counteract the boredom? And I would say just start small with either learning something new, taking on a new challenge, or pushing yourself in the area that you know you're currently competent at. So I'll just give little examples of each of those. So for me, learning, I'm just fascinated and curious about human behavior mindset, psychology, um, philosophy, why people do what they do, why the brain works the way it does. I think that's obviously linked with my own experience with changing my whole belief system and getting to a point where I tried to take my own life because I hated the person I was, to then completely changing my belief system again to now living genuinely I can say that I live with a love for who I am and a love for my life and an absolute passion for all the things that I do. So the way that I've managed to change my mindset still surprises me to this day. And I'm trying to get to the bottom of how that was possible. How did I go from a place of hating myself and trying to kill myself to genuinely loving myself? Because I really believe that a lot of people's issues stem from not loving themselves. And I believe that if I can find a way to help people love themselves, then they will make better life choices, choices that will um, add interest into their lives, add excitement, make them feel like a sense of purpose, give them a spring in their step, make them want to embrace every day and let go of 
really poor choices and um, negative behaviours um, and negative belief systems. So it's a work in progress. I'm still trying to figure out how to enable people to love themselves because I'm not quite sure how I got to this point of genuinely loving myself. But um, yes, going back to my point, I love learning. So I, I definitely uh, try and read, even though I'm, I'm really crap at reading. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I am constantly taking in as much information as I can, listening to people and absorbing new knowledge. Because I've always thought about people that talk about themselves all the time. You'll meet someone at a party or you might have someone at work that does this. Someone will spring to mind and all they do is talk about themselves. And I've always thought, how boring. Because they're not actually ever learning anything new. Like if I just verbally like verbal diarrhea, all of the Im- um, information in my head, what's the value in that to me? Like, I'm not gaining anything. I'm just offloading my information to other people. But to me, I'm curious. I constantly want to learn. So I I actively shut up as much as I can when I'm around people who I know have some really interesting things to say. That's why I love having guests on the podcast because it enables me to be able to then um, learn more and I don't have to say anything and I can just absorb. So yes, I think learning is an amazing way to curb boredom. And once you start learning in a specific topic, you'll realise just how little you know And also I like to choose random topics that I actually don't have any interest in. Um, Things that I won't probably use in my life or they're not really relevant. But at the moment I'm reading a book on, here I've got it right here, I'll turn the title over. I never remember the title of books, but it's called 10 Cities That Led the World From Ancient Metropolis to Modern um, Megacities not really something I would normally find interesting, but it's a whole new, completely diverse topic that I've not not delved into. So maybe from listening to this pod, you might think, you know what, I've never understood cats. I'm going to go and research cats, or I've never understood the physics of lawn bowls. I don't know, there's (laughs) there's so much information. And I think it's so exciting because you never know what you're going to learn, which that might then lead to something else that's really interesting as well. So that's learning. And it doesn't have to be, with all of these things, doesn't have to be to an incredible ability. I think there's this issue and this problem where people think they can't do something unless they're going to be like experts at it. And I know that that is due to society and conditioning. And there's this sort of embarrassment why would you do something if you're not good at it I've had that a lot people go oh no I don't want to come to yoga because I'm not very flexible or oh no no I'm not going to come to art class because I can't draw and I think we have to approach life differently in that normally people will do something they're fairly competent at in their job to make money because you're not going to do something for a job you're not good at because you're probably not they're going to make enough to make a living but why do you have to do something just for the sake of being good at it if it's not going to bring you any joy and it's not going to intrigue you? Um, 
I, there's so much I do that I'm terrible at, but it's actually more interesting and more exciting. It gives me more joy because I'm shit at it. If I was already competent and I was already good at it, there would be no sense of um, adventure or challenge or um, it would just, yeah, be dull. So I think that we need to let go of this this idea that you can only do something if you're good at it. And also, that's kind of ridiculous, chicken and egg, because catch 22, like you're not going to get good at something unless you've done it a lot. So um, yeah, I think just do things for the joy of it. And I've genuinely had this conversation before where people have said, I don't know what I like. I can't remember what brings me joy. I've got no idea what makes me happy. They're kind of in such a rut or such a low mood that they've forgotten what makes their life fun. And I always suggest, think back to childhood. So what did you do as a kid that was your thing you were doing when you were called in for tea and you're like, ah, I don't want to have to go in. It might be riding your bike. It might be just chalk drawing on the pavement it might be bird watching it might be making random music out of like tubs and twigs and whatever but guaranteed what what fueled your interest and what was the main source of play as a kid is probably what is still deep down what's going to bring you the most joy so just do what you did as a kid if it was kicking a ball against the wall in the alleyway go and play soccer, go and, go and start being social at a fun community soccer team. Um, that never leaves you, whatever brought you joy. I can guarantee that the majority of my downtime and what brings me most joy is now doing what exactly what I did as a kid in a nappy at the top of the hill and that's just sat in nature. Sometimes I walk in nature, sometimes I'm running in nature, but essentially being outside um, and in my head. So we got to learning as one of the ways to curb boredom. Challenge. Taking on a challenge is huge. I find that a lot of 30 to 40 year olds have kind of got to the end of their life checklist. I'm not going to name names, but someone in my family has done this. So they had a checklist of everything they wanted to achieve. And of course, they were going to do it because they're driven and capable. And it included buying a house, having a husband, or or not having a husband, but you know what I mean? Like um, being married, having some children, and sustaining a good career. Tick, 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 done. Now they're in their mid-30s and they are really quite low in mood because what's next? They've ticked off their list. So I think we need to first of all change our mindset around life being this sort of end goal. And that's very dangerous. Life should be one big game, one big play, one big experiment, one big amazing, messy, turbulent, exciting journey. We should never aim to get to the end because well, obviously, we don't. I don't mean getting to the end as in dying, but if you get to the end of your list, that's when you're like, oh shit, now what? And that's where the midlife crisis term comes from. So the best way to avoid that is constantly set yourself challenges. And challenges don't have to be massive. 
Challenges could be something like, I'm going to get up at seven o'clock every day and I'm not going to look at my phone for the first hour of my morning. It doesn't have to be huge, but guaranteed having that focus and something outside of the regular and outside of yourself is going to just add that little bit of interest into your week and stave off kind of that restless life's not going anywhere life's really boring monotonous and then once you've achieved that little challenge or that little goal then you can set the next one and go okay for the first hour I'm still going to get up at seven I'm not going to look at my phone now I'm going to go for a walk and then the next week it could be I'm going to go for a run or a jog and then the next week it could be okay I'm actually enjoying this running. I might set myself a challenge to do a 5K fun run. And then before you know it, you're not worried about how bored you feel. You're not sat in a rut. You're not doing the same monotonous routine. You've slightly tweaked. You don't have to do a whole life change, but you've slightly tweaked your routine and you've given yourself an external focus away from the boredom that you feel and onto something positive and you probably as a knock-on effect going to start avoiding the things that you know counteract the new challenge you've set yourself so instead of approaching it like right I'm not going to have three beers of an evening and I'm not going to go to the pub at all um, to meet my mates and I'm not going to eat fish and chips on a Friday night or whatever it is that you know that keeps you in a rut and you're not happy with about yourself. Instead, set the challenge and then subconsciously you'll go, hmm, if I really want to be able to do this 5k or whatever it is without injuring myself or without it being unpleasant because I'm struggling so much, maybe I'll just have one beer a night or maybe I'll just, I won't have any beers Monday through Wednesday. And so Instead of punishing yourself with restriction, you actually end up just making different life choices based on wanting to achieve a goal. It's just a slightly different way of approaching bettering your well-being and bettering your life. And at the same time, obviously, we curb boredom. And before you know it, you'll be amazed at the kind of challenges that you will begin to set yourself. So more often than not, the challenge actually isn't the bonus, isn't the positive, isn't the thing that you're striving for. But by achieving the challenge, whatever it is, no matter how small or big, you are putting down new pathways to essentially tell yourself, your subconscious, that you have a newfound confidence and ability to achieve. So it's so important to reiterate that you can achieve something. And then the next time you go to try and achieve something, you'll go, okay, well, I've already done that. Regardless of how small the challenge was, I am now someone that can overcome challenges and rise to a challenge. And and once I've set a goal, I'm the kind of person that can achieve it. And then before you know it, you start making bigger and bigger steps and and start setting bigger and bigger goals. I've certainly done it in my life. There was a time where just the thought of having my own bank account scared me because I didn't understand online banking and I didn't know how I could pay for direct debit and in it's like so tiny and so ridiculous and now 
I have a share portfolio and now I own a house and now I make sure that I have my taxes in order and now I, you know, it's the same kind of thing, this this unease with managing funds and money. But because I once upon a time, way back when, set up a bank account, my parameters can keep getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. So that's the case with everything in life. Start small and then before you know it, I mean, I guess it could be true of my art career as well. I sold my first painting, completely shocked to me, at the age of 15. It was a little Buddha made out of coffee beans, actually. And I put it in a shop and I, I think it was £10 or £20, I can't remember. But the fact that I sold it was incredible. But I never believed in my 20s I could be a full-time artist. And yet, because I set that challenge for myself to be brave and put a painting out there in a shop, now that's my main source of income. Um, and I haven't really had to try. It's just one little challenge after one little challenge. And I certainly haven't been bored ever. In, in my artistic um, in my artistic career and my my artistic life the last one so we've got make sure you learn make sure you set some challenges the last one is growth so I've kind of touched on this already that if you're not growing then you're stagnant and if you're stagnant then essentially that's the same as being dead or being inactive or being in a rut um, all living things need to continually grow. Otherwise, they will just sort of fester and and mould and and shrivel up. And growth can come in so many different ways. You You can grow your knowledge. You can grow your social connections. You can grow by taking on a challenge. You can grow by doing something scary. You can grow by having variety. But my aim in life is to continue to grow and I personally do that by trying to be more and more and more self-aware so to understand myself more I certainly do it by deliberately doing things that scare me so I know that going on my skateboard and dropping in from a big height is really really scary and challenging for me but I know how much that will translate into other areas of my life. When I do that, when I, when I feel the fear but do it anyway, it makes me think, well, if I can do that and if I can fight that fear, then I can stand up on a stage and share my story or I can reach out to a big company and try and get some work with them or I can put myself out there in a vulnerable way for me in a social setting, in a group setting, I really, really struggle. I I really hate being, I went to a party yesterday, a little little gathering with some friends. I know all of them there, but it was so nerve wracking for me. But making myself do the, the things that scare me absolutely make me grow. I even have Think of the Growth painted on the bottom of my skateboard. And I th- I'm pretty sure I skateboard predominantly for the growth that will come from doing it, challenging myself, taking on new tricks. It's kind of a beautiful metaphor for life that I have to constantly try new routes, try new tricks, try new skate parks, um, talk to new people at the skate park, go in different conditions, different weathers. When I'm tired, I still do it. So 
certainly not going to feel bored when I'm <clears throat> learning, challenging myself and growing. I've got down here, I've got a couple of notes and I've got down about COVID and how I think that was really quite harmful and it ties in with what I wanted to talk about in terms of boredom in relationships and I'm very much just going to speak from my own experience but personally I felt like COVID was really really challenging in terms of being bored because people weren't being able to live out their purpose necessarily if they couldn't work or they obviously didn't have the social connections that fueled them. I think that extroverts really struggled in COVID. I'm an introvert, so that wasn't so challenging being in my on my own company. But I mean I can it's kind of obvious all the ways that that COVID was so harmful. But what it did um I'm not going to blame COVID for this, but what happened was that I cheated on my then girlfriend and I put that down to because there were restrictions in all aspects of my life, I couldn't go on holiday and I couldn't get to sports practice and I couldn't um, explore and I couldn't grow in my career. And because I couldn't curb off the boredom in other aspects of my life in the ways that I normally would, I then became bored in the one thing that was consistent and that was my relationship. So I know through many hours of seeing a therapist and many hours of introspection that I'm a little bit addicted to newness. Some would say drama, <laughs> but I need I need change. I need variety. I thrive off the unknown and I'm immensely curious. So I love contrast and difference and, and excitement. And so COVID was the absolute opposite. It was predictable in that couldn't go anywhere, um, had board games at home. There was just no variety in my day, really struggled. And I tried to create probably subconsciously, but now I look back, I obviously, it kind of is quite, it's quite obvious, but yeah, I tried to be less bored by um, creating a bit of drama. So that relationship ended and unfortunately I hurt her very much and I'm not with the person that I was with during that time either. But I think it was a really good lesson in make sure that you avoid curbing boredom in negative ways. So I needed drama, I needed to shake things up, I needed excitement and I did it in a really detrimental way and I really hurt two people. Actually I probably hurt myself as well so I hurt three people and in society there are many ways that people stave off boredom. I think the main one is drinking um, and probably then drugs, um, gambling, computer games. Obviously, part um, doing this a little bit is not detrimental, but it's when people do it because that is the only way they know how to not feel bored. I'm not going to go into my opinions and thoughts on drinking in this podcast. Some of you will know that I find it quite disturbing how much alcohol is 
a part of the culture here in Australia, but, um, and it's something that I've never done because I don't see that it's a positive thing. But I think it's really important to have a very honest look at the way that you deal with being bored. And is that the best, most positive way for you? So I've already revealed that I was very, um, it was very bad of me to try and create some excitement through having an affair, essentially, in my relationship. That is no better or worse than if I was to be addicted to alcohol. But essentially, we all have our vices. And I think a lot of vices come about through either lack of self-worth, lack of direction and purpose, but I think as well through just general kind of boredom in life. Um, Yeah, I just encourage maybe can we fill that void of boredom in a better way. So I don't think my sister will mind me sharing, but one thing we spoke about on the beach when she was here was that she had a very turbulent, um, probably about 10 years through addiction and I'm not going to go into detail but she I said I said why like what what made you do those things and and really get to a very dark place in life and she just said I think I was bored Livy like I genuinely just think I was super bored I said well why didn't you try something else or you know why did you turn to what you did rather than when you go to the library or do a course or and we even spoke about right now in her life and that she feels like she's bored again um and I said okay cool what are you going to do and she said I'm going to do a course I'm going to I'm going to learn something new which was music to my ears so maybe because it's not socially acceptable or maybe because it seems too hard work, or maybe because there's an element that you don't think you're good enough at the thing that you might be interested in learning. But I just encourage that if you're genuinely bored in life, what's a positive way to add excitement and joy and drama rather than um, doing something detrimental? So I've, I myself have actively had to practice that. Um, I had kind of a negative... Uh, pattern in that I would just disrupt my relationships because that to me fueled that need for drama and change and excitement through therapy I realized that that's firstly I realized that's what I did I had no idea I did that for many many relationships but also obviously I know that's not great so now I disrupt and add a little bit of excitement through challenge through trying new things so every single year I try a new sport um, and I've done this for maybe the last 10 years. Last year it was skateboarding, this year it's beach tennis, before that it was golf, before that it was surfing, before that it was netball, whatever it might be. It was a different sport every year and it's brilliant. I get to meet loads of new people, I learn a new skill. Um, yeah, super fun. So how can you do it in a positive way rather than um, in a negative way? I think, what are we, 47 minutes. Gosh, I've rambled on. Well done for getting this far, anyone. Um, I There's a phrase that I'd really like to say, and I don't know if I've said it already, but I will reiterate. And that is, to be interested 
in people is far better than to be interesting to people. So put another way, you're going to connect way better with people more richly and more authentically if you are interested in them rather than you trying to appear interesting to them. So when I had really low self-esteem, when I hated myself, when I didn't feel worthy of other people's attention or um, connection, I used to try and promote myself almost. I'd sort of list off all my perceived accolades and my perceived achievements. And basically, I just came across as an absolute show-off. And what I was trying to do was really connect and show them, look, I'm worthy of your attention. I'm worthy of your friendship. Um, I'm good enough for to be in your life. Well, instead, all I did was alienate myself. People would think I was just self-absorbed and self-obsessed and arrogant. And I found myself being extremely lonely for most of my 20s. Now I know, and uh, now I practice, basically giving a voice and giving space to other people to open up. And genuinely, I'd rather talk to somebody for half an hour and they speak for 25 minutes and I get to know about them rather than me talking at them, trying to convince them that I'm worth being in their life. So if there's one takeaway and well done for getting to 48 minutes is just be interested in other people. A bit like what I said before around what's the point in just putting, projecting all of your knowledge onto someone else because then you don't learn anything. But also you're not going to connect with someone if you just talk to them or if you just offload everything about yourself onto them. People want to be understood. People want to be listened to. People want to be heard. And this maybe is a little dating tip as well. On a date, often if you're nervous, this is what I used to do. I would just talk at people to try and like, again, convince them that I was worth dating. But guaranteed, if you ask questions, not in an an intimidating kind of interrogation way, but if you genuinely show interest in someone else, they're going to find you more interesting. It's just the way that we work. Last thing I will leave you with is really try and play, Um, whether that's physically getting out somewhere and playing a sport or just playing with creative ways, sort of poetry or rapping or creating a new game or something, but try and do it without devices. Try and do it without um, a, a... a lack of imagination because I'd like actually I'm going to ask the question when is the last time you played and that might sound really weird and you might think oh as a kid I played a game but life should be fun life should be um adventurous and carefree and full of imagination and play and if you cannot think of the last time you played and I'm not necessarily just talking about like a cricket game but if you haven't been in your imagination for months if not years then you're cutting off a huge part of your ability to get joy from life newness change um growth and stave off boredom so if you haven't played and however that looks to you then um I encourage you to do that 
I will just say one last thing on relationships. I haven't really touched on it, but um, I don't want to go over the hour. And I guarantee many of you are blooming bored, 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 bored in your relationships. And I just encourage that you actively work on them. Just like anything in life, obviously, if we do it loads and loads of times, um, not just talking about sex, but just life, if you repeat the same routine, the same pattern, it's going to get boring. But be imaginative and come up with ways to shake it up. Listen to podcasts on relationships. Go to couples counseling if you want. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in a bad place in your relationship, but just spice things up a bit. Try a date night once a month where you alternate who picks the date and you do something random that you've never done before, go rock climbing or jet skiing or a cookery course, whatever it might be, but you've got to add the excitement. You can't be in a a relationship for two, three, four years plus and expect it to not get boring unless you actively do something about it. Um, Also, that is with yourself. So if you're bored of you, then it means you're not investing in you enough. Um, I think I'll leave it on that. That's maybe quite a profound (laughs) place to leave it. If you're bored of yourself, oh, actually, last, last, last thing. Keep getting all these extra little um, nuggets of wisdom or things I've heard over the years. If you wouldn't date yourself, then you are not ready to date someone else. So get to a point where you would want to date yourself just as you are. Not with drink, not with partying, not with um, and the addiction that you might have, but just as you are, authentically yourself. If you would date you, then go for it. You're ready. If not, let's try and get you more interesting and um, more in love with yourself and the best version of your authentic self. Alrighty, I have rambled on. Well done, everybody. You've got to the end. I hope that's given you a little bit of insight just on my opinions of boredom and how to maybe counteract it and approach it. I'm sure I've missed lots. I'm sure I've um, over-explained certain things as well. But um, yeah, hopefully you're not feeling bored. And if you are, there's so much fun to be had. So go out and have it. All right, take care. Keep loving yourself. Bye.